You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So today, we move forward into our Acts series. And so we launched this right on the hills of uh, Easter, and that's when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and we had a great Easter celebration. And then last week, we kind of talked about, like, well, what do we do now, or what do we see happening now? And we talked about how... uh, Jesus empowered people. He empowered his disciples. He empowered them to, to do great things. And he gave them this amazing gift when, his, when he left the earth. He gave them this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to jump all over that next much, next too much today because I think Adam's going to talk about a little bit more about Pentecost next week. Um, but he gave them this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. The church broke out of this idea that it was in this box or in this temple or in this building or it had stained glass or there were certain only people that could access. We did our serve fest the very next week. We had blue t-shirts on because it's a, a priestly garment and we are the hands and feet of Jesus and we're out in our community. And so today I wanted to focus on what I see in the text in Acts chapter 4. And so you can be empowered, you can have the power to go and do something, but you still got to go and do something. You have to take what God has given you and act on it. And so when I think about the idea of, of 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 the boldness of the disciples' faith, I started uh, praying about that, and I was like, God, I wanna, what, let me find the boldness in here. And the word uh, boldness is in the, some of the texts we're going to uh, study today. Bold is in there. But it led me to kind of think about other bold people. And I don't know if you uh, have ever even heard of this person's name, but I'm going to tell you about uh, two different folks today uh, about boldness, of people acting in boldness and what we may find in the text. And so this first gentleman here, uh, his name is uh, Prom, Prim uh, Pratahand. And Prim... See, Gus thought that was a picture of me. <laughs> and I mocked him for it in a Jesus sort of way. Um, no. Uh, and so uh, Prim uh, was a, a World War II pilot for, uh, for the British Air Force. And he was shot down and he ended up uh, becoming injured. And so I'm going to read to you this story of Prim. Of his, his name is Prim. And when you think about boldness, I want you to think about them. Look into his eyes and think about, as I read this, the sacrifices that this man may have made. On this day, the 11th of June, 1965, evangelist Prem Pradhan began to behave strangely. He was a prisoner in a Nepalese prison for several, with several months left on his sentence. He gave away his blanket, his utensils. Prisoners had to cook their own rice His explanations seemed preposterous. He claimed that three months earlier, the Lord Jesus had told him during prayer that he would be released in 90 days. He had told the other uh, Christians the good news and marked off the days on a calendar, and today was the big day. As the hours crept by, no word of his release. Communist prisoners began to taunt him. And then suddenly the door opened and a guard walked in announcing Prem Pradhan had been released. Pradhan had been a Hindu who served in the British Armed Forces. During World War II, he was a fighter pilot in the uh, British Royal Air Force until he was shot down, or it was, until a, a gunshot wound left him with a permanent limp. 
India had hired him as a tank commander, and after the war, while in the service, he became a Christian. He accepted that message that we talked about on Easter. Changed his faith from being a Hindu to a Christian. The Lord called Param to share the gospel in Nepal. And for three months, he tried to do it in his spare time. And at last, he resigned his position and dedicated himself full-time to God's call, limping through Nepal. And one of another county says, I find it ironic that God would call me to minister in the Himalayan mountains, the guy who's got a limp, the guy who has been injured and been hurt. Limping through Nepal, he slept in trees above the level which tigers could not leap, fending off tree snakes with a piece of wood. And it was two years before he made his first convert to Christianity. It was a woman who had been healed of her paralysis. In Nepal, it was a crime to be baptized, punishable with a year in prison. All the same time, Prad insisted all converts must be openly baptized. Jesus had suffered openly for us, he said, therefore we should openly acknowledge him. Of course, the pastor doing the baptism was subject to much harsher penalties than the converts. Six years in prison, they called them the dungeons of death. Not like, hey, where's my cable TV, man? Like, cook your own food. Maybe you're cold. Maybe you make it. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Prana and his uh, first converts went to prison altogether. Happy group. And would be in prison, he would be in prison 14 times for a total of 10 years. Once he was in prison with uh, mentally ill patients, he realized some of them were suffering <coughs> from some demon possession, and he did what he read about Jesus doing and the apostles doing, driving out demons. Authorities then declared the men cured and set them free. They returned home and formed a nucleus of new churches. Another time he was isolated in a, in, without food in a tiny unlit bin that had been used to store dead bodies. His guards thought he would go crazy. One day a captor heard him talking. When he asked him, who are you speaking with? He replied, Jesus and when the guard shone his flashlight looking for Jesus, Sprat had promised him he could tell him how he could find him. And the guard became a Christian. And they relieved him of his incarceration. See, he went and planted churches wherever he would go. Uh, whenever a few converts were made, he planted a church. Later, he became an educator. His family had taken uh, his property when he became a Christian because they didn't like that he became a Christian, so they took what he had had. But because educators are considered honorable professions, they restored the land. He sold a portion to raise funds and built a school and an orphanage on the remainder. These facilities were next to a royal palace and eventually the king would honor him for his orphan work and the queen would rescind taxes on the property. The bold evangelist died in 1998. In 1970, they guesstimate that Nepal had less than 8,000 Christians. Today, there's over a million. I see boldness all over a story like that. I want to take a look at some more boldness and we're going to see in the text. But as you think about a man like that who chooses to use their life, and I know these are like awesome, amazing stories, there's simple questions for us. How are we using our life? Where's the boldness in our faith? To be openly baptized 
and have no consequences from it or to be openly baptized and go to prison for a year. So join with me. Well, we're in our newer Testament. We're in Acts chapter four. Now let's set this up. So the newer Testament. So the, the Bible is this, if they actually gave you like regular print, how big would the Bible be? It would be giant. This is a library of books. If we had it written on scrolls like they had it here on scrolls of dead animal skins, uh, how much would it fill up in this whole front row? Uh, Probably this whole area would be filled with scrolls about the text. And we have it on our, well, we have it on our phone. We have it in all cool places. So we're in in this beautiful book that God gave us. And we're in the newer part of this book in Acts. And we're catching up right after Jesus has died and he rose from the grave. We talked about that and he appeared to many of the disciples. And this, what we're finding out, this is how his disciples were acting, which is a good clue for us and maybe how we should be acting. Uh, Remember Acts chapter one, he told them to be witnesses to Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, and the first part, anyone? Rhetorical? No? Okay. Uh, Jerusalem. So they're in Jerusalem, and they're doing what he commanded them to do. They're doing this thing of being bold, and they're talking about Jesus and his resurrection. All right. So now that we're caught up, let's do it. Acts 4, 4 through 13. Peter and John before the council. As they were speaking to people, the priests and the captain of the temple... And the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It's interesting, greatly annoyed. One of our, uh, our, our uh, sermon, sermon group guys, he looked it up, and he's like, does that really mean, what does it mean? Does it mean, because in some versions it says disturbed or other things, so he looked it up, and he's looking at the, at the Greek, and he's kind of chasing down. He's like, no, it means annoyed. They were annoyed because someone was talking about Jesus and that he actually had risen from the dead. Now, who were these people that were annoyed? These are the t- tippy top of the religious world. These are the Sadducees. These are, this is a high, these are the people that were, they, they're the greatly educated folks. They memorized, they know more Bible than all of us do. Memorized stuff. They have this down. They know all the rules. They know all the regulations. And these people are greatly annoyed with this Jesus thing. I want to just go away. It's been like a month or two, right? Or something. These guys are still talking about it. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. The old counting, they just counted the dudes. So they do have wives and children and other things, but 5,000 people started to believe this story in Jerusalem about what Jesus was doing. Next. On the next day, their rulers uh, and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all of the family who were uh, high, the high priestly family, the muckety-mucks, the best of the best, the, the, the tippy-top. And when they had uh, set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power... Or by what name did you do this? Now they healed. What did they, why did you do this? How did you do this? And they're talking about a healing that happened. Next it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
What was he filled with? The Holy Spirit. What did Jesus leave us? The Holy Spirit. Is it possible that you and I could be filled with the Holy Spirit that he left for Peter or just him? Now we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are empowered to go out there and act and do amazing things in his name. Just because it's a long time ago doesn't mean it didn't happen. We're, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what he blames it on. He says rulers and people and elders. If I were being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ Nazareth, that's who I'm doing this, that's the power that I'm doing this, is because of what Jesus Christ of Nazareth did on this cross that we celebrated two weeks ago. That's the power of why I can do what I'm doing, he says. Whom you crucified, which is always a great Peter point, just like jamming it right back in their face every time. Whom God raised from the dead... By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that last verse. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. I would tie this verse kind of very closely with our introduction today of being bold. What does it look like to be bold in your faith? Point number one, do you know that sometimes your faith will greatly annoy others? Now here's what I mean by that. Your faith may be inconvenient for other people's values. You may value life. You may value it so highly that you think that abortion is wrong. And it's inconveniencing someone else's decision or choice, what they want to do. But it's very inconvenient for them. If you stick to your faith, as it is in the text, as we're learning and growing here, if you stick to God's values, if you stick to the things that Jesus valued, it will annoy people. Now, we're not doing that for the purpose of annoying people. Peter and John were not trying to annoy these people. They were being bold in what God had done in their lives. And they were doing what Jesus asked them to do. If you do things that Jesus asked you to do, it could annoy somebody. But that's not the intent of it. Don't be that guy or gal. But your faith and being bold about your faith and standing on principles and standing on convictions with a kind heart could annoy people. But sometimes being bold, people will be annoyed. 
To be bold, sometimes your faith will cost you something or cost somebody else something. That's the hard one. When your faith costs somebody that you love something. And so as you think about your faith, and what I mean by cost, like many of us, probably most of us, maybe all of us, praise God, hopefully none of us are going to die in prison because we claim Jesus as our Savior. You might be, be bold at your job and you might be reprimanded at your job for talking to somebody about Jesus. You Maybe you just keep plugging on through and you're like, I can't, I can't help it. I'm like Acts verse 20, which I'll tell you in a little bit. I just can't help stopping it. I'm going to talk about Jesus. That's part of me. It's part of who I am. And they're like, well, you're not going to do it here. You're fired. Like that might be a cost. But most of us probably aren't going to die or be murdered or crucified upside down for our faith. But it, it will cost you something. It may cost you popularity. It may divide some relationships because you're not willing to compromise on things that you know that God would not be willing to compromise on. Third thing that could happen is people will observe your boldness and some may choose to follow you as you follow Jesus. And it seems like that's what happened with 5,000 men after this event. And it seems that's what happened with Prim as they followed him to prison together. But people are already following you. You already have influence. But where are you influencing them to? You may be asked to stop sharing your faith. Verse 20 says, uh, they they ask them, these guys are like, stop it. So what happens between verse 13 and where we're going next is these guys are reprimanding and they're going and they say, you knock it off. You stop talking this Jesus stuff. And then Acts uh, 20, or verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 20 says, As for us, we can't help it. We can't help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. We're going to do it all the way. And they did it. Most of them to their death. Because they knew that's what they were commanding. Are you going to not do what Jesus asked you to do? Or are you going to do, not do what your, whoever told you to stop it? I'm going to go with Jesus on that one. So those are some things that being bold can cost you or that can can happen for being bold with your faith. And we see this boldness. I want to share a picture with you of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. This might be a more familiar story for you. Um, Some of the uh, movies that were made upon these folks were Beyond the Gates of Splendor, Torchlighters, End of the Spear, St. Steve... And so let me quickly tell you the story of these guys. Um, so these folks made t- uh, contact with a tribe in Ecuador, the Sakua tribe, and they would pass down gifts from their plane, and they were trying to reach these people for Jesus. Him and his wife met uh, at uh, a Christian college, I think in Port Oregon, if I remember right. And this was in the 50s. They were down ministering. They were missionaries, evangelists and missionaries, and they were down there to this lost tribe that didn't know people. And they kind of got excited because they set up a, a, a camp near this lost tribe. Five men did in their airplane. They were giving gifts to these folks. They even gave one of the guys a ride in their airplane. And they, can you imagine that? You've never seen an airplane in your life. And you're like, okay, let's do it. And um, so they thought things were going well. There's a couple people that came and met them. They had dinner with these folks. They had food with them. They thought things were going pretty well. They were pretty excited because they're going to evangelize to this lost tribe. And their next visit was not near as exciting. 
10 warriors from the Yakua tribe came and killed all five of them. Two years later, Elizabeth Elliot, her daughter Valerie, and Rachel Saint, one of the gals who, uh, whose husband, uh, Nate's sister, excuse me, one of the pilot's sister, were able to move in to this village. Many of the Akuas became Christians. They're now a friendly tribe. There was a problem with this tribe. They were killing all this oil, expo- ex- oil explorers. They were not a friendly tribe. And they became a friendly tribe through the loving grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the sons and his family was still living among the Akuas today. So you're in there with the people that killed your dad. Pretty bold to make a campsite and to reach out and to give your life, your physical life, so somebody would hear the gospel. There was this account that they had a firearm, they had a gun, a handgun, but they had made an agreement that they would not kill anybody that came to kill them that didn't know Jesus. So apparently they would have killed somebody if they knew Jesus. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but they weren't going to kill these folks because you know where they would go if they didn't know Jesus? They would go to hell. And they already knew where they were going to go. They were going to be with their Savior in heaven. Being bold. Join me again in Acts 4.23. So, we go through this process, they're, they're, they're shamed, they're said, you knock it off, you stop talking about Jesus. So they get back to their group of people. Peter and John get back to their group of people, and when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They told us to stop, we said no. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is what they're doing together when they get back with this news. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, who gets the credit, God gets the credit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers who were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're quoting Psalms chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. So what do they do after trial and tribulation? They get together and they praise God and they start quoting scripture. It's almost like we saw Jesus do that when he gets tempted by the devil in Matthew 4, he starts using scripture. So is this idea about having God's word, it's pretty important, isn't it? For your boldness. He goes on to say, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand and heal, who stretches out their hands and heals? The Holy Spirit. The, God is the healer. And the signs and wonders are performed through your name, the name of your servant, Jesus Christ. And when they had prayed, what? They quoted scripture? To have more boldness, they quoted scripture, and then they got together and they prayed. And when they had prayed, this place in which they were gathered together was shaken. 
And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm inspired by the stories of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and Prem and Peter and John and Jesus. But how do I do this? Do I have to die? Do I have to go to prison? What, to be bold, what do I need to do? So I have some things to work through about being bold for all of us. Maybe what are some things we should consider to be bold to follow what Jesus asked us to do? How about the word of God? Not just the acknowledgement that it exists, that, it's, that you know you should read the Bible or that you think it's a good idea, but to have it like actually active in your life. See, Jesus activated God's word to rebuke the devil. You can use God's word to be bold when you know it, when it's on the tip of your tongue. I was meeting with an awesome guy this week, and he's just from, he's like, well, you know Romans, boom. He, starts, he just started quoting stuff like he, you could tell that he had God's word inside of him, and he was ready to use it. Actually, it's a pretty cool verse here in Hebrews 4.12. If we have it, maybe we do or don't. I think we do. 412. 412. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You need God's word in your heart, like the Holy Spirit indwells in you, and that takes work. How many of us are like, ah, memorizing the Bible is difficult? This is a lot of stuff, right? It's difficult. So I'm going to try and move through some generations here to see our ability to memorize things. And you tell me what you did to know how to memorize these things. Um, how about um, can't buy me love? How why did you know that? How did you know that was the next word I was going to say from the Beatles? Have you heard that song before? More than once. Right? Whatever your country music song is that you know, I got friends in. What? That's like a whole verse? Where the whiskey drowns? Are you kidding me? And what does the beer do? Oh, it chases. Unbelievable. You guys are verse memorizing machines. I was going to try and think of a Taylor Swift song, but it just doesn't feel right for me to reach into that generation and do a Taylor Swift song for you guys. But you understand, we can, things that we value, things that we spend time doing, we can ingest and know and have them in our hearts. So we need God's word. The second thing is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with, to be filled with his spirit. Well, that starts with your acceptance of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that or you're playing around with that, let's that be over. Today, you don't have to do, you don't have to play around with it anymore. After church, I'll be up here praying and other folks will be up here praying and we can get that settled. You can receive the Holy Spirit into your life today if you want. Some of us have quelched the Holy Spirit and that's a bad sin if you read about that. But you're kind of like, you, I know the Christian things. I've memorized verses. I've been in church for 40 years. But you don't hear God's Holy Spirit anymore. 
and because the world gets in and all those things, but how attentive are you to his spirit? Knowing God's voice in your life, moving as he calls you to move. You know what it looks like in my life or what I'm working on? It looks like a phone call. Josh, you should call this person. I, did, I was like four for seven last week. Pretty good if you're playing baseball. Where he's like, hey, call this person. I'm like, yep, boom, on it. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna. Why is he, I don't even know what I would say to him. Yeah, but call him. I mean, I'll, I'll help you with that. Okay. Looks like praying when prompted. When it doesn't make sense, right in the middle of what's going on, whether you're worshiping, whether God calls you to fall on your face as you're singing a song, just, boom, now, go. Like, I bet you some of you in here have been prompted to get on your knees in a worship service, and you're a little nervous to do it. You're like, eh, I feel like I'm supposed to, but no, I'm not going to. That'll look weird to my neighbor. He's probably wondering if I passed out. On occasion, not every Sunday, but I'll fall to my knees up here, or sometimes I'll go in a back corner, and I'll fall to my knees, and I'm praying really hard for everyone in here. I'm praying really hard that I don't screw up the sermon. And I want God's voice to come out in a passionate way that's not angry, that points you to a better life. But that hearing God's, hearing his, his, what he's telling you to do, I don't really care. I look like a fool without him. So I might as well look like a fool with him. Thank you. Um, when God calls you to say something to someone, to be a lead servant in your workplace or in your home, you see how many times the word servant came in that scripture where you're reading? The servants were your servants were your servants. Like, there's no accident why I call myself the lead servant because my job is to serve. Amen. And the third thing I would suggest <coughs> to be bold is to be bold in community. To have community. We are designed to do life in community. If you're struggling with these first two, Excuse me. If you're struggling with these first two, I would check your community out. <coughs> Please, Lord, not here. I'm 20 seconds over. <clears throat> you need people. I need people to study God's word with. <coughs> I do that in community. I need people to pray with them. I do that in community. There was a testimony that happened here on a Thursday night. It would not have happened without community. Your community is not your TV. <clears throat> your community is not just your phone. It's part of it. But your community is these living, breathing people around you. That's why we talk so much here about being in community. Get in a life group, get in a life group, get in a life group. You guys still talking about that? Yes. And as long as I'm the lead servant here, we're going to talk about it all the time. Because God did not design you to be alone. I have to finish for multiple reasons here. We're striving to be a community that submits to the will and the way of Jesus Christ. Our vision is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Our youth pastor talked this morning in our huddle with all of our other servants 
Why did they go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Why did Jesus say that in Acts? And he said, where is your Jerusalem? Because they were in Jerusalem. So like right around you, where are you supposed to be a witness? Today. In Judea, your general area. Moscow, Palouse, wherever you are. And then Samaria, the people that you don't even like. And then to the ends of the earth. The way that we do this is we make biblical disciples in relational environments. Who discipled you this week? I want you to think about that. Who discipled you this week? Do you have a discipler? Well, it's that one guy online. Oh, cool. He doesn't know your name. He doesn't know anything about you. He's giving you good information. That's awesome. Get it. But who can look you in your eyeballs and know what's going on in your life and is discipling you? And my second question would be, who are you discipling? Who did you meet with last week that you talked to about Jesus, that you talked to about what God is doing in your life? Because as I see it, it's that simple. That's what these guys are doing. One of the things we should never strive to do is to separate Jesus' message from his methods. He does it in relationship, and so should we. And his boldness helps us do that. So let's dive into communion before I die up here. Okay. Nobody wants to shake my hand after this? I'll go get some hand sanitizer. We had the privilege of doing communion every, um, every week here. If you didn't receive it, Sean over here has got some. Ron's got some. Raise your hand. <clears throat> we'll get it to you. <clears throat> but we're going to honor what God has done on the cross as we just sang about. I'm going to thank him for the work that was done on the cross. <clears throat> if you have questions about that work, we'd love to talk to you about that or talk to your neighbor who looks like they might know. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had made, given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you. We remember your sacrifice. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it and remember it's me. Remember what I'm about. Remember what my disciples are about. And you're making a covenant with him to be along with that and to be making disciples as well. Let's do this. Lord, I thank you for this time with my brothers and sisters. I ask, Lord, that this message would penetrate penetrate people's hearts that they would start sensing and feeling the Holy Spirit in their lives that they would make a commitment Lord not just to know about your word or know that it exists but to see that you have this vast library of things that you want to tell them and that we would imprint it on our hearts we would let it direct and guide our thoughts and our actions in our life Lord and I pray that people would dive into community they don't want to do it alone like I can't do it alone We don't heal by ourselves. Things don't just go away over time because you just I stuffed them somewhere deeper. They're still there. 
So Lord, I ask that you would just come to us, Father. And you have, but that we would just recognize you and we would become just deeply in love and passionate about you and your purposes over our stuff, that your will would be done. So Lord, I say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.